welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told in the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. Hear your news, reviews, discussion, and of course, stories. I am your host, Fred, and that great theme music is by Roger Gregg of Crazy Dog Audio Theater. Roger Gregg, of course, our guest last week, and now another one of those great uh, professional audio dramatists are focused this week as we continue our not-so-creepy-crawlerly, but still uh, somewhat devious foray into dark audio for the month of November. It's the time of year where leaves have fallen off the trees and uh, summer is definitely long past due and uh, a darker month is coming, days are shorter, all that stuff. And so I think it's still appropriate to have some thrillers uh, to haunt you. And that is sort of the thinking that goes behind our feature for the next few weeks. Um, Very, 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 very excited to share with you Sweeney Todd and the String of Pearls by Yuri Rosovsky. Now, uh, Yuri is, of course, a legend among the living um, audio dramatists, one of um, the greats still with us today. And, um, you know, he's been producing since the 70s and has done dozens and dozens of marvelous shows over the years. Most recently, he has been working, uh, released under Blackstone Audiobooks, and it's with his permission that we play for you Sweeney Todd and String of Pearls, uh, which is a Blackstone Audiobook release, blackstoneaudio.com, if you want to pick up a copy, um, as well as some of the other great things he's done and released through Blackstone, including the Maltese Falcon, St. Joan, his new Zorro, um, and also an upcoming Die, Snow White Die, which sort of speaks for itself, I think. Um, so anyways, we got Sweeney Todd for the next few weeks. Um, it is the Demon Barber of Fleet Street, um, and it is not Tim Burton, and it is also not the theatrical version. It's something kind of very special that only can be done in audio, um, and I think you'll appreciate all that it is. It is really, um, really fine work by a fine artist uh, and uses audio in a way that is not... It just can't be done in another medium. That's what's what's marvelous about it. It's won a, a whole bevy of awards, three audio awards in 2008. In fact, the best audio drama, the best original work, the best achievement in production. I think you will get this from this highly rated um, winning piece of audio fiction. Sweeney Todd and the String of Pearls made possible by Blackstone Audio, blackstoneaudio.com, produced by Yuri Rosovsky. Here we go. Blackstone Audio presents the Hollywood Theatre of the Ear production of Sweeney Todd and the String of Pearls. Before Fleet Street had reached its present importance, and when George III was young, there stood, close to old St Dunstan's church, a small barber's shop. A long pole painted white with a red stripe curling spirally round it projected into the street from the doorway and on one of the panes of glass in the window was presented the following couplet. Easy shaving for a penny, as good as you will find any. Hector, a vast pipe down, I say. Hector! Sorry to have shut the door on your four-footed mate, sir, but I has a mortal fear of dogs, that I does. Mm, I fancy Hector will be fine outside till we're finished. Aye, sir. Now, you just sit back there in my chair, lift up your chin, and I'll polish you off right quick. Polish me off? 
What do you mean by that? Oh, just me little joke, sir. Meaning only your shave won't take long. <laughs> what the devil was that? Only me, sir. I, I laughed. Sounds like you learned that laugh from one who died of it. If that's your way of laughing, pray be glum. <laughs> Very good. Now, um, sit back and relax, sir. That's right. Uh, let me take that box for you. Nay, it stays right here. As you wish, sir. <laughs> uh, by the looks of you, sir, I'd say you was a man of the sea. Am I right? Damn it! What do you mean by putting the brush in my mouth? Oh, let me wipe that for you, sir. I didn't mean to say... Uh, you moved your head while Thomas... Throw me down! If you come that laugh again, I will get up and go. I don't like it, and there's an end not. As you say, sir, as you say. Tell me something, Master Barber. Do you know a Mr. Oakley who has a spectacle shop somewhere in this neighborhood? Aye, to be sure I does. Uh, John Oakley, the spectacle maker in 4th Street, not far from here. Can you direct me? Uh, indeed, I can, sir. Um, you as business with Mr. Oakley? With his daughter. Oakley has a daughter, has he not? Aye, sir, he does. Name's uh, Johanna, uh, what the young bloods here call the flower of 4th Street. Uh, got a young man, uh, a seaman like yourself, off somewhere in the Indian Ocean, they say. Aye, I know. Mark and Gestry. Oh, you knows the gentleman, sir? A, a friend of his, are you? I owe the man my life. Come to bring tidings to his sweetheart? Ill tidings, I fear. He's gone to Davy Jones, poor fellow. And the salt water rushes over as brave a heart as ever beat. Sad, that is, sir. Oh, very sad. Fortune spares no one her poisoned arrows, do she, sir? Poor Miss Johanna. Nay, not poor, Master Barber. Bereft of a husband she may be, but poor. Marking Gestry took to the sea to make his fortune, and a fortune he did make. Ere he died, minding his girl, he got him a priceless string of pearls. Pearls, you say? Aye, valuable ones. I have them right here. In the box? That's right. With his dying breath, Mark Ingestry swore me to a sacred commission to put these pearls in the hands of his Johanna. And this I purpose to do this very day. Uh, no, have a care, sir. I mean, this parish ain't safe for bearers of such like valuables. Not safe. Under the shadow of St. Dunstan's, the temple just down the road. Uh, true. Uh, on one side of me shop, sir, uh, you got your temple with your courts of justice and your barristers and your law students. But on t'other, you got your Alsatia. With your nippers and your drabs and your cutthroats. Desperate rascals, sir. What as soon kill you as look at you. I can take care of myself. And Hector there is as stout-hearted and loyal as they come. Is he, sir? Is he? How <laughs> blast you? What are you laughing at now? What do you mean by it? Oh, you're a wise man to trust in that there animal. That you are. Where are you going? Oh, just to get me strop, sir. I must have left it in the parlour. I shall be gone a moment. Ah, oh, here it is. All oh, right. Here. In a Fleet Street that's in London town, when King George he wore the crown, there lived a man of great renown. Twas Sweeney Todd. The barber. One shave from him, and you'd want no more. You'd feel his razor sharp. And then a tumble, wallop through the floor. And wake up playing a harp. 
and singing, Sweetie Todd, the barber. By God, he were better than the play. Sweetie Todd, the barber. I'll polish him off, he used to say. His clients through the floor would slope. But he had no fear of the hangman's rope. Dead men can't talk with their mouths full of soap, said Sweeney Todd the barber. Hark, 12 o'clock at midday is cheerily proclaimed by St Dunstan's Church and scarcely have the sounds done echoing throughout the neighbourhood when Bell Yard Temple Bar becomes a scene of commotion. Is it a fire? Is it a fight? Or anything else sufficiently alarming and extraordinary to excite the junior members of the legal profession to such a species of madness? Nay, it is none of these. The enjoyment is purely one of a physical character. And all the pacing and racing, all this turmoil and trouble, all this pushing, jostling, laughing and shouting, is to see who will get first to Lovett's Pie Shop. No need to shove, lads. There's plenty for all. There was a Mistress Lovett, but possibly our listeners have guessed as much. For what but a female hand, and that female buxom, young and good-looking, could have ventured upon the production of those pies? What's your bloody hands, mate? Tuppence buys your pies, not liberties with me person. In faith, Mrs. Lovett, you are as savoury as your wares. But not to be tasted by the likes of you. Aye, <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Lovett was all that. And every enamoured young scion of the law, as he devoured his pie, pleased himself with the idea that the charming Mrs. Lovett had made that pie especially for him and that fate, or predestination, had placed it in his hands. Oh, a tuppenny pork, if you please, Mrs Lovett. Good day, Tobias. Oh, same to you, Miss Johanna. I have not seen you by the temple steps for some weeks. Where have you been? Oh, I left Mr Snows and gone into another line. Have you now? Here you are, lad. I'll buy two of those, Mrs Lovett. Please wrap them so I can take them with me. Oh, oh this is heaven. What new profession do you practice now, Tobias? Oh, well, Miss Johanna, instead of being a lawyer and helping to shave the clients, I'm going to shave the lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> do you mean to say you are going to be a barber? Aye, I'm with Sweeney Todd, the barber of Fleet Street, you know, close by St Dunstan's. What, have you tired of the law already? Oh, no, Mum, rather the law tired of me. That is, Mr Snow did. He was ever on at me to wash more regular and dress more proper so as to cut a respectable and, uh, I dare say, less odorous figure before his clients. So, as he was unwilling to up the wages to make them things practicable, he sacked me. Are you better situated with Sweeney Todd? Well, he's a rum bloke he is, make no mistake, but a penniless orphan got to take what he can get and like it too. Just so he faith. But take heart, Tobias. You possess a quick mind and an enterprising spirit. I have every confidence that if anyone can surmount adversity, tis you. What about you, Miss Johanna? Any news of your young gentleman? 
Not a word, Tobias. I feel like Penelope in the old tale. But one must endure that which one cannot change. One shall do. Well, Tobias, let us both take heart. Father is going to a lodge festivity tonight, so I'll just have him patronize your master and get dressed and shaved. No, no, don't. Don't? Why not? Well, here yeah, now, you young scamp. You're cluttering up me bloody counter. Ain't you got some errand to run? Yeah, hi, Mrs. Lovett. Then stop running it. Hi, Mum. Sorry, Mum. The earliest dawn of morning was glistening upon the masts, the cordage, and the sails of a fleet of vessels lying below Sheerness. The crew were rousing themselves from their night's repose and to make their appearance on the decks, from which the night watch had just been relieved. Over the taffrail of one in particular, a large-sized merchantman, which had been trading in the Indian seas, two men were leaning. I'll order you both the moment Thornhill comes on board. One of them was the captain of the vessel. I am loath to quit the ship without thanking him for his invaluable assistance to me on this voyage. And the other was a passenger, an army officer, who intended leaving that morning. Wait, I can't think what keeps him, Geoffrey. When he went last night, he said he was going to the city to dispose of some private affair. Doubtless that business about the spectacle maker's girl. Ah, Joanna Oakley, I. Ah, I fancy you'll be greeting him in a few minutes. What makes you think that? Because I see his dog. Hector? Hi, there, swimming in the water. Ah, I can see the dog, certainly. But where the devil is his master? The dog was making for the vessel, and with the assistance of the seamen, with the whole of whom he was an immense favorite, he was pulled aboard. And when he reached the deck, he sank down upon it in a state of complete exhaustion. You there! Give the dog some drink and meat directly. What's that in the poor beast's mouth? A hat? Thornhills, to be sure. But where is the man himself? Geoffrey, my mind misgives me that something untoward has transpired. Hector, what is it? What do you want? Gad, I understand him. Something has happened to Thornhill, I'll be bound. The dog wants me to follow him to see what it is about. Lower a boat! I'll go with you! Whitefriars, adjacent to the temple, then well known by the cant name of Alsatia, had at this time the privilege of a sanctuary. The place abounded with desperadoes of every description. Bankrupt citizens, ruined gamesters, irreclaimable prodigals, desperate duelists, bravos, homicides, and debauched profligates of every description. All leagued together to maintain the immunities of their asylum. Thus, it was both difficult and unsafe for the officers of the law to execute warrants, emanating even from the highest authority. It was in Alsatia where stood the shop of Sweeney Todd. Mr. Todd? Mr. Todd? Oh, he's out good. Now he won't know I was late nor where I've been. So, Hi. so, Tobias, my lad. You couldn't resist the pie shop, could you? How'd you convert? Oh, I has me ways. Hark here, Tobias. 
The only thing I can excuse in the way of delay upon an errand is for you to get one of Mrs. Lovett's pies. That I can look over. <laughs> Delicious, aren't they? Oh, sir, that they are. But uh, look here, some gentleman's left his walking stick. Give it here. Aye, sir. <laughs> Lesson the first to Tobias, which makes him to make no remarks what does not concern him. You may think what you like, but you shall say only what I like. Not just to me, mind, but to anybody. Especially to any jolter-headed young women you happen to mess with. Christ, you just banged a tooth right out of my mouth. What did I just tell you about your talking? No, no. T'was a bad tooth giving me all sorts of pain. I didn't need it anyway. I've got plenty more. Plenty more. You are now my apprentice, Tobias. You're indentured to me, and you have of me board, washing, and lodging. If I was to turn you out, you'd have nowhere to go and be the prey to every ruffian on the street. You wouldn't survive a second. So listen to me, Tobias, and treasure up every word I say. Why, sir? I'll cut your throat from ear to ear if you repeat one word of what passes in this shop or dare to make any supposition, or draw any conclusion from anything you may see or hear, or fancy you see or hear. You understand me? Aye, sir. I won't say nothing. Swear it. So help me. Say, may I be ground up into one of Mrs. Lovett's pies if I as much as say a word? Say it. May I be ground up into one of Mrs. Lovett's pies if I as much as say a word? Oh, oh, oh very good. <laughs> very good indeed. I'm satisfied. And mark me, the shop, and the shop only, is your place. Aye, sir. Fire that blasted dog again! Go away! Blow me down! Sir, let us in! I ain't opening this door while that dog is there. Down, Hector, down! We will undertake that the dog shall do you no harm. But open the door, for in we must come, and we will. Tie him to a pole or something, or you ain't coming in here. Come, Hector, come. Come on, boy, come on. Stay down, now. stay. We have secured the dog, now let us in. <sighs> well, <laughs> well, <laughs> a seaman and a soldier <laughs> come grace in my shop. Uh, gentlemen, uh, shaved or cut or dressed, uh, I'm at your service. Uh, uh, which shall I begin with? It is a rather remarkable circumstance. But this is a very sagacious dog, you see. He belongs to a friend of ours who has most unaccountably disappeared. Oh, has he really? Oh, uh, Tobias! Oh, sir? Uh, run to Mr. Phillips and get me six penny worth of preserved figs. And just please remember the insight into business I just now gave you. Aye, sir. Uh, well, gentlemen, um, what do you require of me? We want to know if anyone having the appearance of a seaman came to your shop. A good-looking sort of bloke, tall, weather-beaten, tan, with fair hair. Aye, aye, the same. Oh, to be sure. I mean, he come here and I shaves him and polishes him off. <laughs> what do you mean by polishing him off? Oh, you know, uh, uh, brushing him up a bit and making him tidy. Uh, he said he had got somewhere to go in the city and asked me the address of a Mr Oakley, uh, a spectacle-maker. Oakley, quoth. Mm, that's right. Uh, I gave it to him and then he went his way. 
It uh, seems to me twa'n't more than a minute after that I heard a row down the street. So I looks out me door and there's some fracker going on down by the market and he was in the middle of it. Or somebody very much like him. Was this dog with him? He had a dog, but whether it was this one or some other, I, I couldn't tell you. And that's all you knew of him? On me oath, gentlemen. Mm. It's a very extraordinary thing that the dog should bring us here if he missed his master somewhere else. I never heard of such a thing. I nor I neither. <laughs> uh, one for the books, that is. <laughs> well, we can accomplish no more here. If you'll direct us to this Mr. Oakley's establishment, we'll be on our way. The captain and the colonel had no resource but to leave Sweeney Todd, intending fully to call again when they came back from Mr. Oakley's. As they looked behind them, they saw that Hector was collecting a crowd round the barber's door. It was a singular thing to see a number of persons surrounding the dog while he appeared to be actually making efforts to explain something to the assemblage. A plague on. Look at the time. What am I to do, Geoffrey? I sail tonight. Do not then call him, Mr. Oakley's, but leave me to ascertain the facts. Uh, uh, I suppose I must. I shall make inquiries quietly and discreetly so as to protect the girl's reputation. Jollicott, send me any information you obtain. Write me a letter to the Royal Oak Hotel at Liverpool. You may depend on me. Wish I knew what befell your master yesterday. I got my suspicions, mind. There ain't nothing I can do about them, though. Still, you shan't starve. Not if old Tobias can help it. Here, here you go. One of the best meat pies you'll ever eat. Straight out of Mistress Lovett's oven. Well, go on. Blimey, what come over you? Hey, Tobias! What the deuce have you done to that pesky mutt? Well, nothing. Honest. Fed him is all. Me own dinner. That's a fact. One of Lovett's pies. One of Lovett's pies? Oh, blast you, you brainless whelp. Get in here. Ow! Let go of me! When I'm through with you, you'll learn the proper use of meat pies. <laughs> Father? Joanna Oakley was a creature of the rarest grace and beauty. Hers was one of those countenances which one could look at for a long summer's day. My dear, do you know what time it is? I have to go to Cripplegate the first thing and I haven't had a morsel of breakfast yet. These observations were made by Mr. Oakley, the spectacle maker of Four Street. Joanna was his only and much loved child. I shall be down directly. Odd's life, what so fascinates you that you stare so into the street? The fog's so thick you can't possibly see anything. Tears lifting. The sky shall clear presently. Mm, I dare say. Yet at the moment is like a blank sheet of foolscap. Come indoors before you catch a chill. 
I do not care if I catch a chill. Yes, yes, my dear, but I do. What a strange humour you're in this morning, Joanna. Such darkness in a bright young face worries me to distraction. Forgive me, Father. I know I ought to be down and attending upon you, only... Yes? Tis the 20th day of August. Aye, so it is. Tell me, my darling, why the date vexes you? How can your old father help alleviate your melancholy? Can you recall the dead to life? Oh, you mean Mark Ingestre? I do. Twas on this day two years ago that we last met. He told me then that he and his uncle had at last quarrelled irreconcilably. He said he must go and seek his fortune that we may wed. We made an agreement that on that day two years he was to come to me or send some news of his whereabouts. I see. That day has now arrived, eh? If I heard nothing of him, I was to conclude he was no more. And I cannot help so concluding now. You sorrow out of season, my dear. The day has not yet passed. Tis more vexatious to hold on to such a slender thread of hope than to reconcile myself to the worst. The wisest course, indeed, is to accept. Yet I am not able to do so. Hmm. You know, my dear, that I wouldn't for all the world say anything to vex you. Still, in sooth, if he has gone scampering about the world in an unsettled manner, you are well rid of him. Had he a thousand faults, he at least loves me. He does have a thousand faults, I'll be sworn. And if he loves you, as he professed, he has made a poor showing of it by fleeing whither no one can say. Twas for my sake he did so. Oh, a plague on. Oh, I'm late. Well, well, as I go to Alderman Judd's, I'll think over the matter. Until I return, remember this. You must not conclude that he has died, for somehow or another these wayward fellows always come back like a bad penny. As Joanna gazed listlessly into Fore Street, she saw, standing in a doorway on the opposite side of the street, a stranger who was looking intently at her house. When he caught her eye, he walked instantly across and cast something onto the balcony at her feet. Then he touched his cap and walked rapidly out of sight. <gasps> what is this? A scrap of paper wrapped around a stone. Odd's oh, life. A note. For news of marking guestry? Come to the temple gardens one hour before sunset and do not fear addressing a man who will be holding a white rose in his hand. He lives! That youth, sweet loveliness, sing ten thousand times a year. I'm a-going around the ocean, love, to seek for something new. Come change your ring with me, dear girl, come change your ring with me. For it might be a token of true love while I am on the sea. Where 
am far upon the sea, who knows not where I am. Kind letters I will write to you from every foreign land. The secrets of your heart, dear girl, are the best of my goodwill. So let my body be where it might, my heart is with you still. There are tinkers, tailors and shoemakers by a snoring in their sleep. While we poor souls on the ocean wide are a-ploughing through the deep. There's nothing to defend us, love, nor to keep us from the cold. On the ocean wide, where we must fight like jolly seamen So adieu, sweet loveliness, sing ten thousand times adieu. I'm a-going around the ocean, love, to seek for something new. Come change your ring with me, dear girl, come change your ring with me. For it might be a token of true love while I am on the sea. Towards the dusk of the evening, after the last batch of pies at Lovett's had been disposed of, there walked into the now empty shop a man most miserably clad who stood for a few moments staring with weakness and hunger at the counter. Here, you, be off. We never gives to beggars. Mistress, love it. I do not come to ask alms of you, but to know if you can recommend me to any employment. What, a sorry blighter like you? Uh, Don't make me laugh. Don't you... Recognize me at all? Oh, keep your distance. You smell something awful. Look closely. Under this grime and these rags, can you not discern one who in better times sat at this very counter and exchanged badinage with you? Lots of blokes come in and out of my shop. You think I remembers every bloody one I exchanges bandages with? Of course not. I only wish you to know that, penurious and desperate though I am now, I was not always thus. You once knew me in a quite different circumstance, one that should testify to my character despite my wretched appearance. You talks like a swell, I'll be bound. I am so unfavorably situated that I am willing to do anything for a mere subsistence. I'll sweep, I'll fetch and carry, Clean muck from gutters. Anything so long as tis honest. And how does I know that once you've got into a better case, you won't pick up and leave me flat? I aspire to naught but the barest existence. Indeed, were I not the most despicable of cowards, I would cast myself into the Thames and walk this wicked world no more. <laughs> a full belly can change that song in a trice. For heaven, Mistress Lovett, 
What I have suffered has left an indelible and painful wound upon a heart that only out of pure cruelty refuses to cease its beating. Shame and woe have eroded all my ambition, except to abide my allotted days a burden to no one. Cheerful cove, ain't you? Still, I might have a situation what fits your needs to a fairly well, and mine too. Come back after dark tomorrow, and we will see what we will see. In the middle of the 12th century, the military order of the Knights Templar built a fine round church by the Thames, which became known as the Temple Church. Two centuries later, after the abolition of the order, lawyers came to occupy the temple site, offering accommodation to practitioners of the law and their students, with facilities for education and dining. As such, the temple has endured to this day. At the time of our narrative, the three-acre temple garden was laid out with large and lovely walks, ornified with beautiful banks, curious knots and beds of fragrant flowers and sweet herbs of sundry scents. I have the honor of speaking to Miss Joanna Oakley. Your servant, sir. And you are Marking Gestry's messenger? Or rather, I am he who comes to bring you news of Marking Gestry. Am I to infer that Marking Gestry did not could not send you. I shall explain, but I must first adjure you to remain composed. Sir, I am well steeled for the worst. I ask only that you speak plainly. Does he live or no? That, miss, I cannot tell you, for I know not. Then I conceive that you have no other information that could possibly interest me. Good day, sir. Let me prevail upon you, lady, to hear what I shall unfold to you. There is much to hear and much to speculate upon. If, from all that I have learnt, I cannot dare not aver that Marking Gestry lives, I likewise shrink from telling you he does not. There is a hope, then? There is a hope, aye. As you call for frankness, I must own it is a remote one, but nonetheless... You are too nice, sir, too delicate in your speech. The kindest thing you can do is to deliver your message quickly in the most direct language. Forgive me, Miss Oakley. I am a military man, and I know little of polite intercourse with refined and, may I say, handsome young women. It seems to me, sir, that your sensibilities are far more tender than mine. I am a humble tradesman's daughter, not a princess. Prithee, be blunt. You can start by telling me your name. My name is Geoffrey, and I am a colonel in the India Army. I am pleased to meet you, Colonel Geoffrey. Now, what have you to relate? And why the mystery of these clandestine arrangements? Not cognizant of how matters stand between you and Mark Ingestry, I wished to spare you possible embarrassment and compromise. We were betrothed. Our families treated the prospect of our union with such violent disapprobation that Mark resolved to better his fortunes, that we may marry and live independently. He set forth on some venture or another, and I never saw him again, nor ever learnt whither he travelled. On this, I can shed some light. Apparently, whilst he was pondering how to enable your union, there came to London a mariner with a well-authenticated report of gold discovered on one of the small islands near the Indian seas. He kept the thing quiet and secret, except for the one person in the world he trusted, an old school chum. Mark Ingestry. Exactly. He told Mark Ingestry that if he would go personally onto the expedition, he would share in the proceeds with him, be they what they might. Ingestry embraced it at once with the greatest enthusiasm. 
Did they succeed? Beyond all expectations. I will not burden you with the trials they endured. I know of them only by second hand anyway. I was not there. How did you learn of these things? Ingestri's partner told me, a gentleman named Thornhill. I was aboard a vessel that spotted him and his dog clinging to wreckage after a monstrous gale in those heathen waters. In faith, we barely escaped it ourselves. The partner knew not, nor did we ever discover the disposition of his ship, his friend, and his fortune, with the exception of one thing. And what was that? A remarkable string of pearls. Thornhill disclosed that sometime before their vessel went down, Ingestri begged of him to call upon a young lady named Johanna Oakley, should the one be saved and the other perish. He gave Thornhill a string of pearls, which he was to present her in his name. They are of immense value. You saw them? Mr. Thornhill showed me the pearls, and when we reached the River Thames, which was only three days since, he and his dog left us, carrying his string of pearls with him to find your residence. He never came. I know. It would appear he vanished somewhere about Fleet Street. Vanished? Aye. We can trace him to a barber shop kept by a man named Sweeney Todd. On Fleet Street? I, I know a youth who prentices there. Beyond that shop, no word of him can be obtained. What makes the affair more extraordinary is that neither force nor persuasion will induce Thornhill's dog to leave the place. Singular indeed. I very much fear that someone saw those pearls who is not scrupled to obtain possession of them by violence. I doubt it not. Whitefriars warrants far more caution in the transportation of valuables than your Mr. Thornhill seems to have observed. You are a very brave girl to bear these tidings so calmly. What good would tears do, Colonel Geoffrey? I thank you for your communications. It was kind of you to trouble yourself on my account. My exertions are not totally disinterested, Miss Oakley. I had hoped in this interview to learn something of Thornhill's fate. You see, I owe him my life, and purpose either to restore him to his shipmates, or bring his malefactors to justice, or both. I wish you luck on your enterprise, Colonel. Will you not help me, Miss Oakley? Perhaps introduce me to the barber's lad. After all, the pearls. What of them? Why, lady, if found, they will make of you a very wealthy young woman. What care I for wealth? I have lived quite contentedly these one and twenty years without it. But as a token of your lost love. Oh, fie, Colonel Geoffrey. They are but the token of that foolishness which lost me, my love. I would have accepted Mark Ingestria's husband, whatever his station in life. For his part, alas, he was not so complacent about taking me without the means to lavish every luxury upon me, which I neither sought nor ever wanted. What a fool. Miss Oakley! A fool, I vow. The idea of his jumping eagerly and ill-prepared into such risks, of sending his loved ones no word of his peregrinations, of entrusting the last precious remnant of his arduous travails to one even more heedless than he. Tis absurd. Miss Oakley, I would not ordinarily countenance disparagement of two men, one an honoured friend and t'other no less worthy of high esteem. Yet I am sensible that only acute sorrow could excite you thus to rail against these worthies. In faith, is not anger always easier to bear than sadness? Not a bit of it. I only look truth straight in the eye. Long ago I discerned Mark Ingestri's complexion. Honest, gentle, brave, loyal, merry, loving, and above all, lovable. But for all that, rash, impractical, and prey to jejeune quixotic humours. But be that as it may, he is or was, as the case may be, my fool. I own that I am a one-fool woman. With him I would have been content. 
Without him, nothing contents me. In this, I am quite the fool myself. And there's an end on't. A dear and noble folly, I call it. Such devotion, such love. Joanna, M Miss Oakley, so moved am I that I here and now resolve to restore your fiancé to you, if such be humanly possible, and the string of pearls he procured at such a heavy price only for your felicity. Colonel, without my beloved, no felicity is possible for me. If you can indeed bring him back, you shall thereby earn the pearls for yourself. Nay, Miss Oakley, you must and shall have your man and your pearls. Thornhill's recovery and your happiness are the only rewards I require. You have my oath on it. A subterranean chamber, cold and dank, lies beneath the shop of Sweeney Todd. Here, of an evening, sleep any number of visitors from sundry walks of life. The cup purse lies next the bailiff, the pauper next the dandy, for such sleep as theirs is both democratic and eternal. But whilst their slumber endures forever, their peace does not. What are you complaining of? Ain't you dodge profiting enough? Nah, Sweeney Todd. I want me fair cut of the swag, and I'm getting tired of you putting me off. Do you fancy I wants to sell bloody pies made out of me friends and neighbours for the rest of me life? You robs them kozu's throats, you slit, and I want me just portion. Then I want a share of the profits from the pies you makes out of them coves. I do most of the work. Most of the work? And takes most of the risk. Your shop would be empty if it wasn't for me. Tis me what supplies the secret ingredients what makes your pies so popular. Tis me what cuts them up for your grinder and disposes of the bones and gristle. Tis me whose hands is foul, whose apron's stained red. Tis me what has to deal with suspecting friends and relations. And dogs. So don't you now get greedy on me. I want you to stick to our bloody bargain, Sweeney Todd. I want me bloody share. At the proper time. A reckoning, then. Show me an accounting. By God, you act like we'd be married instead of business associates. Well, don't you act like you had husband's rights any time you get to the itch? Oh, and don't I scratch yours as well? <laughs> Nay, Mr. Sell, the current arrangements suit me fine till there be enough in me coffers to be free of you. Abide by it, then. Give me what's mine. By and by. By and by. By and by, you'll be long gone. You can skip off with your savings whenever the fancy strikes, you know. So can you. Oh, that's right. Equal partnership, equal opportunity. You're the one likeliest to retire first, aren't you? <laughs> You've got a regular and growing customer, so I've got to make do with what I may or may not find in the pockets and purses of the blokes I polish off, a cut of which I has to give you. So, tis a bloody race, is it? Whoever first reaches the pot of gold leaves t'other to make do. Well, that was our bargain. So be it. If one day you comes a-calling and I ain't there, don't bother looking for me. Now, let me get on with me work. I've still got this here barrister and his costermonger to chop up, and it's almost time for me supper. If you're hungry, have a pie while you're working. Ooh, no, thank you ever so. That makes me gaseous, they does. <laughs> Hurry along, then. You got one more cove to slice up after those two. Do I now? And who might that be? Skinner. Me bloody bakehouse man. 
he's the most troublesome cook I've had, because the most educated. He's ever whining and wringing his hands. Now he's saying he's tired of his place. You must tonight make a vacancy. Then what? You don't reckon on me to bake your pies, does you? I found me a replacement. Another bloody toff seems like falling on hard times. <laughs> you got to thank the gentry. <laughs> what with their younger sons, hapless gamers and prodigal debtors, they makes you an endless supply of job seekers, <laughs> which you need, cos you use up cooks like I uses up soap. And customers. Nay, my husband's be trade right careful, Mistress L. You think every man what comes through me door is stock for your pies? How do I stay in business that way? Now answer me that. You're gonna off bloody Skinner or not? Me new cove showing up this evening and I gotta know what to do. Leave it to me, Mr. Sell. On the morrow, Skinner will be fodder for your temple cults. <laughs> <laughs> Sweeney Todd, you're a good man when you wants to be. <laughs> Give us a kiss. <laughs> <laughs> Now underneath the shop it's true Where the bodies tumble through There lived a little widow Who loved Sweeney Todd the barber She made her living by selling pies Her meat pies were a treat Chock full of meat and such a size for she was getting the meat from Mr. Sweeney Todd, the barber. By God, he were better than the play. Sweeney Todd, the barber, I'll polish him off for use to say. And there's many a poor young orphan a lad the first square meal he ever had was an hot meat pie made out of his dad from Sweeney Todd the barber. All right, and that was Sweeney Todd and the String of Pearls, part one by Yuri Rusovsky's Hollywood Theater of the Ear, and uh, released by Blackstone Audiobooks. BlackstoneAudio.com um, is the best place. Blackstone's released dozens of wonderful audiobooks. Um, if you are like me and also fill your audio listening schedule with uh, straight-up audiobooks, Blackstone has done a number of excellent releases, as well as lots of audio drama productions, such as what you just heard, Sweeney Todd and the String of Pearls. Uh, I suppose I should mention that in addition to going to Blackstone Audio, blackstoneaudio.com, and downloading stuff, if you prefer to go through Audible, we do offer a free trial. Uh, go to audibletrial.com forward slash radiodrama. You can get a free 15-day trial to Audible, which includes a free title, such as the work you just heard, or one of the others from Yuri Rosovsky. His stuff from the 2000X series, for instance, is up there, as well as the Maltese Falcon, the Mark of Zorro, Good stuff. Good stuff. As I mentioned, you can expect to hear more of this for the remaining months of November, and then we get on to some unconventional holiday programming, programming about the human experience that may not necessarily be tied into snowy weather. Um, that'll be coming up in 
December. And if that is not enough to fill you in the meantime, over 200 hours of audio drama programming at radiodramarevival.com. You can follow us on Twitter, hit up at Radiodrama, search Facebook for Radio Drama Revival, got a page on there, or search iTunes for Radio Drama Revival. I also have a email list if you want to get this podcast arriving in your email box each week. Does that automatically? Go to radiodramarevival.com and um, sign up there. All right, that wraps it up for this week. Radio Drama Revival is produced by yours truly, Fred Greenhalge. Copyright of individual shows remains their original producers, but do please share this show as far and widely as you'd like. Radio Drama Revival originates in on-air radio at WMPG-FM, Southern Maine's community radio. It is podcast at radiodramarevival.com as a labor of love. Till next time, keep your mind and your ears open. Thanks for tuning in and have a great week. (laughs) 